All right. Welcome to ATF Magazine Podcast. We have uh, back with us a good friend, Mitch Brulette. You met him uh, in an earlier podcast interview. Uh, Mitch is an uh, in, in active duty law enforcement officer uh, here in a local city in uh, California. As well, uh, he is involved with a private training group called Delta Tactical. And more than anything, uh, Mitch is uh, is a nationally recognized expert on um, school safety, um, having served as a school resource officer uh, through his uh, department. And you can find uh, a very, very uh, inspiring and impressive video on YouTube that now has racked up. Uh, I, I think last time I looked, it was seven to 10 million views. I mean, it's unbelievable. You, you've become a Kardashian celebrity just from, uh, from your work. But uh, Mitch, it's great to have you back. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. I'm glad no, to it's my, no, it's my pleasure. We, uh, we are just in awe and so grateful of your service and everything that you do, uh, not only in your day-to-day -day job, but you know, in your mission to inspire others. Um, you know, to to you know, be safe, to protect their families, to protect their schools, to continue training, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you know, it's uh, it's good timing. You know, all of our kids are going back to school. Schools are back in session. Thing from preschools and elementary all the way to universities, and uh, unfortunately, since you know we last spoke, uh, you know things have not gotten any calmer. Um, you know, out there on the home front, um, you know we we have had more shootings, we've had more tension, we've got more frustration. Um, you know, it feels like. Um, you know, especially in some urban areas all across the nation, I travel quite a bit and, you know, it just feels like the, the pot's getting ready to boil over and a lot of these, you know, play, people are just frustrated. People are pissed off. And, and I think it's um, bringing a lot of those that are, you know, kind of on the fringe, um, you know, it's breaking them and causing them to do crazy things. So I wanted to bring you back um, just to, you know, kind of talk about your thoughts about, um, you know, school training, um, LEO training. You know, because a lot of our audience is 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 LEO, um, so I I want you to talk a little bit about that, and then also you know we can we can get into just some some general training, some general drills that even parents can do with their with their kids, regardless of how old they are, um, just to to you know increase their own situational awareness and readiness. Um, no matter what situation they find themselves in, you know, and, and whether that be at school or at a mall or, you know, at McDonald's, you know, like unfortunately recently we've seen um, situations erupt at all three of those. So, um, you know, what, what are you seeing out there and what do you what do you kind of think, you know, since since the last time we talked, you know, what are you seeing out there? Um, well, since we talked last time, I'm still actively out there pushing training, training, training. And I recently did one um, at a school and I had a, uh, an older teacher come up to me afterwards and ask, Hey, after, um, after nine 11, you know, we saw this big increase of airport safety and with the TSA example. Right. And his question to me was how come we don't have anything federally for school safety? And it hit me like, you know what? You're right. And it was the first person to kind of like open my eyes to this is something that needs to go consistently across, you know, yes. the United States. And you, and you asked me last time we talked about why is it so prevalent in America compared to other countries? And it, 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 why is it? And why don't we do more? Like we put 
let's have federal funding to provide safety in schools. Like it makes, it makes zero sense. But until that happens, you know, we really have to, schools have to take an emphasis on training. And to me, it's a sad thing to say, but it seems like everything comes down to money and a budget and we can't do this because of the cost or it's too much of an inconvenience to get everyone together or we don't want to put fear in people or those kinds of things. Well, you can put fear, the, the people that are doing these crimes and, and taking are putting fear in people. So um, to me, it comes down to when it, as far as the school wise, they have to make it a priority and it's no longer taboo. We can talk about it. Um, it's happening. The kids are scared. Teachers are scared um, and they want to know what they can do to survive this. Um, so my, my big thing has always been training. And for schools, what has to happen is, I mean, it, there's ed code, education code and assembly legislation that says they have to have some sort of a safety plan. And that safety plan includes a team. So it starts with the superintendent of schools, the principal of the, of the actual the campus, getting in a room with the chief of police, the, the battalion captain in the fire in the fire side of the house. Like everyone needs to get into a room and sit down and make this. Like I said, it's, it's legislation says they have to, but no one puts the time into doing it. And when you really sit down as a group and you start talking about it, it's communication that starts this whole thing out and um, we have to make it a priority. And right now some places do and other places don't, we're not consistent. So we need to start by getting consistent when it comes to our school safety. I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's tough. And one of the things that uh, really struck me last time that we spoke was, um, you know, you mentioned a statistic that, you know, we still have three to four annual fire drills on school sites and we haven't had uh, even a school fire, maybe it was a school-related death, you know, since the 70s. And and yet, you know, this is this is still something. Now that said, you know, I do have to say, you know, the the drills aren't taken seriously. I mean, they, right. they check the box, but the bell goes off and everybody kind of slumps out of their seat and slumps outside and stands there for 60 seconds or whatever it is. And, you know, what's, what's amazing to me, I, I, I recently thought the same thing as you, you know, following your conversation that you just mentioned, that, um, you know, it's interesting that, that state buildings, federal buildings, police departments, you know, they're all fortified. They have, they have security. They have security protocols. They limit and control entry. They, you know, they, they know who's on site and who's not on site at any given moment. Um, you know, these, these are pretty basic things and basic protocols and basic systems, you know, that, that we've had in place in, in federal and state buildings and other secure facilities for, for decades and decades and decades, right? Like, I, I mean, you know, my home security system at my house is, is, is more robust and more capable than I would guess 95% of the school sites, you know, that are in America. And, and I hear you're, you know, you're right. Everybody says, oh, you know, it's the money. And yet, you know, when, when COVID shut down, we, the, the country had no problem finding hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, to, to fast track, you know, shots, to fast track tests, to, um, you know, and, and, and to send out, you know, PPP, loans to you know untold number of businesses in several rounds of money um and and we were able to find that you know at the drop of a hat so um 
so what you know i i I mean we could get on this rant you and i could talk about this for you know the next eight hours i'm sure and still get nowhere um but i think you know at the end of the day it does come down to parents and citizens demanding more doesn't it oh absolutely and i think um if you are a parent um and i'll give you an example there's a girl i went to high school with who lives in florida she has a uh, her child goes to a uh, catholic school and she has been in their ear at that school for months trying to bring training to the point where now it's on the fact that, you know, I might be going down there to do training, but it took her to continue to put pressure on the school. So parents should be involved. Like I said, even, you know, parents should know the type of training their kids they're going to get. Now I do agree. There's some, some kids, especially those, you know, kids with special needs and that kind of stuff that, maybe that they don't need to go through any type of uh, drill, you know, um, and they have the ability to have an opt out and not participate. But the teacher in that classroom should at least have an idea of what needs to be done. So, um, you know, I I highly suggest at least a two-step training when it comes to teachers and staff. Um, There's, there's work, uh, a presentation on lessons learned from past events. You know, the guys that are committing, you know, these awful acts, they're studying people's, you know, what's worked in the past. Like I said, I, I think we talked about Texas tower. What is that eerily similar to is Vegas, right? I mean, elevated position, not sure where the shots are coming from. Um, this whole new tactic of, uh, fire alarms being pulled and people walking out to the unknown because now it's easy to get a large crowd into one spot. Um, and even this last one in Uvalde, he did something that we haven't really seen before. And he barricaded himself inside of a classroom with, with the students and teacher, like that's a whole different tactic. He, he, you know, and I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that report, but he targeted that, that particular classroom because that was the fourth grade. That was where he got bullied in fourth grade. And he went back as that's the negative thing that happened in his life. And, you know, you could look at, and if you read that report, he met every checkbox there was to an active shooter. And guess what? there was all kinds of signs that led up to it that he was going to do this awful event and no one said anything. So, you know, the training, you can't sugarcoat it. It has to be genuine. It has to be real. And you're not scaring people when you put them through this training, you're building confidence, you know, and I tell the teachers, I apologize. them in the beginning, I say, Hey, I got into law enforcement and the military knowing I was going to get into a critical incident. When you became a teacher, you shouldn't have to worry about this, but that's right. the world that we live in. And you know, what I do tell them is, this is not about scaring you. This is about building confidence and confidence, how to effectively react to a critical incident that you could possibly be involved in. Um, and it's truly a, a remarkable when you, they come in and they're scared, you can see it in their eyes. Um, and then all of a sudden, as you get them through the, the presentation and then onto scenarios, you can see the confidence being built. And then they come up to you and they tell you, Hey, I have a plan. This is what I'm going to do. Or I keep this in my classroom. Right. It's all those good. So it's for me, it's like, I'm nervous we, when I start doing it, getting ready to do the training, but then it brings me this sense of, I feel so much better when I leave. Um, I just brought well, it to my, to my community and, 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 uh, it's, it just gives me a sense now, like, of at least they have an idea of what to do if something happened, you know, to where my kids go to school and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I'll tell you, I mean, we, we share in that, I think, you know, I, I, I would love to to live in this fantasy land that, you know, some people live in. I, I truly do, you know, because it's stressful to live in my world, you know, where yeah. where you're situationally aware and, and, you know, you read these situations and you've seen situations and, you know, it's 
it's it's not a peaceful, happy place most of the time, right? Because you're you're always thinking, you know, what if? Um, but that said, you know, and 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 the same goes for my kids. You know, I'd I'd love to maintain that that innocence, um, you know, for as long as possible. But the reality is, you know, I, I'm not willing to gamble with my family's life. You know, even if it's 0.1 percent chance, that that's too great of a chance for me, and it costs me nothing. Um, to train and prepare and to educate and hopefully do it in a way that isn't scary. Um, but, you know, I, I have read the Evaldi report and and I've seen, um, you know, a lot of the body cam uh, footage. And, and you know, I think a lot of that has, has leaked out publicly um, and is generally accessible. And, and I encourage everybody, as, as horrible as it is, to to watch that especially with the audio on and and watch this happen because what the you know this happened in in a rural little you know american community right like this was a tight community this wasn't you know south chicago or detroit like this this is Uvalde, you know i, I mean and and everybody thinks about it because it's not in their backyard and oh my backyard's different but it isn't different. The, but the point is, these things are happening everywhere. And when you watch that video, and you especially listen to that video, and you listen to, to these... Sorry about that. No worries. Um, to these shots going off over and over and over again. Um, you know, it, it changes you, right? Um, so I think, you know, for, for our audience that is LEO, you know, your message is the same message you always give, right? Continue to train, you know, you, you've got to be prepared and take this seriously, right? Oh, absolutely. And if, like, if you look at any of the events, um, that law enforcement's had to deal with on a level this big, you know, it comes down to a, uh, well, first of all, the decisions are being magnified. That's that's what's being magnified by others is they're looking at what decision was made or actually even indecisions that weren't made. And to where a lot of these failures are happening is lack of leadership and pre-event planning are the two number one reasons why. And like any type of critical incident, it's a low risk or a low frequency, high risk event, right? We can, you can send people out, we can set perimeters all day long, right? Or you can handle this type of call, but because these critical incidents on, on the level that big, we don't get a lot of training in them. We don't even get a lot of experience in them, right? God forbid you have to deal with one in your career. Nobody wants to go through it. So how do we, how are we going to change and adapt and evolve to start dealing with these things on a higher level? And it goes to pre-event planning. So there's some agencies that out there that are very, very proactive. There's some that this is probably not going to happen in my town. So they're not real. It's not on the top of their agenda. And it goes down to, again, the law enforcement budget, right. And, and those kinds of things. And really, if you fail, if you fail on a critical incident, just like Uvalde, you're, you're going to lose immediately trust amongst your organization. You're going to lose trust in the public, right? Like you're going to all those years of good, doing good things. You can be the, have the best law enforcement agency in America and the community loves you. But if you fail on that day, they're going to, the expectations are going to, they're going to lose them and, and they're going to lose your trust. And you got to tell, law enforcement that this, these events are career ending, or they could even be life ending. Like they just fired the chief in Uvalde, right? How is he going to go home and face his family? You're like, or you put it on your soul that, man, I didn't, I failed to react. I, I should have. Yeah. yeah. And 
you're going to live with that for your, for your life. And not only the things you're going to see when you go in there, but the things you're going to do with years and years and years to come. And, you know, I think an easy way to do it is, you know, tabletop exercise, you know, in your organization. Um, but then you have to expand it, include, include the schools, let them know what your, what the response is going to be and get information from a school. Um, not, a, not that all these events are just happening at schools, but you have to get everyone involved and everyone in the same room because it goes down to it as even like things like, okay, the, the incidents happened you went in, you made the decision. Well, now you got family coming to the site where all these things happen. So what does family reunification look like? Right now you got all these cops that just went through all this or these firefighters that went through all this. Okay. Now it's all that's over. Now they've been on their 18, 20 hours. Are we just going to send them home or do we triage them, you know, to let them know, Hey, this is what's going to, this is what you're going to feel the next couple of days. And, you know, and by the fifth day, we'll have a critical incident debrief and we'll invite, we'll have everyone there. But if you need something, I want you to reach out, you know, if you're going through something. So right. that sets, that kind of sets the table for all of law enforcement and what their expectations are, not just what's going to happen on that day or that site and making the right decision and diagnosing what the crisis is, but run them through the full training of, yeah, once it's completed, then it's going to be turned over to INB and, you know, DOJ and FBI and everyone else that's going to come out. We're not going to send you immediately home. You're going to have to get triaged before we send you home. Like all those type of things. And it, that goes back to pre-event planning. And if we start really making a focus on that and it could start, you don't have to start it at like a whole department level. You could start it. If you're in a position to, you could be an officer and you could bring it to your briefing table and you could say, you know, to your sergeant or to your immediate supervisor, hey, I want to talk about what we would do if we had this incident. And then all it is, is you guys are talking. And then I guarantee you, and I was told this a long time ago, Patrick, and it stays with me and I utilize it with, with uh, my SWAT team. You can give, like, let's say, let's use a SWAT team. Most of them are 15 to 20 members on the team, right? I can give them a critical incident or whatever we're going to end up be dealing with it. That's 15 or 20 different computers computing that tactical problem. And if you don't take value in every single member's opinion and what they're thinking, then you're losing out from the newest man on the team to the most seasoned guy on the team. Everyone has a say they're going to think about it differently. And when you get in the room and you start talking about it, you realize, you know what, that's a good point. You know, like I said, this teacher came up to me with this. Why don't we have this federally funded school safety? And I'm like, I never thought about it. And you're freaking right that we should have something to that level. So my, my biggest thing when it comes to talking to law enforcement is that pre-event planning um, and finding a way, because if you pre-event plan, here's what happens. If you, this is why people fail to take leadership is because you know why they're overwhelmed by events. And so what happens is, is they get into a shell because they're not sure of what to do. And part of that training, Hey, this is what you make. You may feel this. You may feel overwhelmed by events. But here's a quick little thing. You can, there's nine things you can do to, to overcome that. And they're broken down into threes. And there's three things I need to know right now, three things I need to do right now, and three things I can delegate those things to be done. And then you can start bringing this crisis from such a magnitude into a smaller ability to, to work it. So, right. But law enforcement has to, we have to, Columbine was a watershed moment. Uvalde is a watershed moment. All these events, and here's, they're not the, they're not black swan events. They keep happening, you know, but why well, are we, why are we, well, like Col we're well Columbine, yeah, Columbine happened, you know, uh, uh, Columbine was Littleton, right? Yeah, 1999. Yeah, I, I mean, 1999, right? I, I, I mean, and we're still dealing with this and, and systematically what's changed. Right. Not, not really all that much, you know, in the grand scheme of things. 
Um, but, but I do love what you just said, which, you know, I, I think, um, I, I think it's a problem. I think it's a challenge within, um, law enforcement is, you know, we, we do promote, you know, that, that concept of a force multiplier to the citizens of the community that you serve of, of see something, say something, right. That, you know, we, we, you know, we're, we're not a lone force out there. We can't do it without you. Um, you know, so if you see something, no matter how crazy, you know, no matter how remote of a possibility you think the possibility is, still just give us a call. You know, we'll come and check it out and hopefully it'll turn out to be nothing. But within the department, right, a lot of, you know, let, let's say, you know, it's a rookie even and he comes in with all these fresh ideas and new and creative and hasn't, you know, been been indoctrinated into the mold. He could have a bunch of ideas, but you know, does your department have um, the environment where new ideas are welcomed, you know, where questions are viewed as a positive thing because somebody's interested or excited or wants to learn? Or is it, you know, hey, you know, I'll, I'll let you know when to worry about that. Hey, yeah, we got, got hey, hey, command staff's got it. Don't freaking worry about it. When, it, you know, you'll, you'll know how to do it when I tell you how to do it. That's culture. Yeah, that's culture. That's the culture of your agency. It's the culture of what law enforcement has been. Um, right. And we have to change that. It's on us to change that kind of culture is, hey, they're going to come in with some ideas and, and we have to be open to it. And you got to have a place to be able to bring it up. And just like you said, with schools, it's the same thing. If you're a teacher and or you're, I don't know, even a assistant teacher or you're, you know, you work recess only, you're out of, you know, a yard duty or something like that. If you're seeing something we should provide the arena to allow you to have a safe place to report something and say, Hey, look, I'm seeing this. Can we, can we discuss this? And all that should be taken in with value. And, you know, speaking on that, when you do bring trainings to the schools and you could do a presentation in a general location, but when you do scenario training, it needs to be site specific because each school is going to have a different tactical dilemma and those type of things. And it gives them a concept of asking directly about, well, what if we're right here in this location by the gym? What right. would you do? Or that kind of stuff. But that also, it's going to bring extra work to administration because you're going to find faults in your in your fencing, your security. You may have a part of the campus that can't hear the PA system if you need to give out an alert. Like all those things are going to cause additional work. But guess what? It could also cause, it could also save a life down the road. And right. And what is it really a little bit of extra work going to do? Um, the one thing you did touch on, and you said it perfectly. Um, and I, I brought this to the community I work in. Um, some of the cops hate me for it, um, but um, there's a there's a thing out there. It, it was it was a, it's a nonprofit right after Sandy Hook, and it's called Say Something. And it's an app that um, it doesn't cost the schools any money. Um, it's an app that's brought in into the schools to allow anonymous reporting. Everything from bullying to threats to vandalism or to theft um but what it allows is for a student to go onto the app it's uh, site specific to the school and they can start interacting and texting with a, a dispatch center out of florida and it's triage on what they have depending on what they have is it, it might go the school route only or it could go law enforcement and school but it allows for a safe anonymous way reporting system to allow students who hear something to to that they see something or they know something is going on it gives them an opportunity to be able to report it and like you just said earlier let us determine it's going to be nothing 
right? And right. I mean, it could be from, hey, my friend is suicidal or my friend is getting hurt at home. And so, yeah, it has, and law enforcement has to buy into it and your, your department has to buy into it. But it's another way to allow for something to be reported because in the long run, 99% of these events, there was some pre-event leading up to it that we could have maybe maybe stopped it. Once, it st once it starts, yeah. the we're only going to mitigate casualties and we're going to have to do, but if we can get it before it even starts, that has to be a way to do it. Like Uvalde, he, he put out there. There were so many signs, so many, so many signs. signals. Yeah. And he did, no one reported it. All the gaming, all those, the gaming apps and stuff he was on talking about it and talking to people and no one took it real. You know what? Call it in. Let us determine it's not real and let us inconvenience somebody. But in the long run, you could be that one person that stops this whole thing before it starts. Yeah, I agree. You, 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 you brought up something earlier that, um, you know, I'm always aware of, you know, which is, you know, as much as we're talking about schools, you know, th this, this isn't just a school situation, right? You know, there's, there's, you know, this mass carnage, you know, kind of taking place everywhere. We recently saw, you know, uh, one being attempted and thankfully shut down by a good guy who's a CCW holder in a food court of a mall, um, you know, and stuff like this is happening more and more often. And, you know, as, as much as, um, you know, CPS and a, and a ton of uh, judgmental parents will judge me for being a horrible parent, um, you know, which maybe they're right. Um, you know, I, I've got a five-year-old and an 11-year-old. And, you know, since my 11-year-old was probably four or five, um, you know, we play, this, we play this little game. And anytime we go anywhere, we sit down in a restaurant, we sit down in a movie theater, we sit down like anywhere. We just went to Disneyland. You know, I'll, I'll say, you know, hey, you know, um, you know, how, how many people, you know, do you think are in the restaurant right now? Um, you know, where are the exits to the restaurant? Um, where's the bathroom to the restaurant? Um, if a bad guy came in that door right now, um, where would you go? What would you do? Um, and, you know, it, maybe they're just so used to it that they don't have a, a traumatic effect, you know, so maybe I, I've just traumatized them so much that they're numb to it. But, you know, it is a game um, to where now when they sit down, they'll, they'll be, you know, every once in a while, they'll, if, if I forget or something, they'll just be sitting there staring at me like, so when are we going to do it? Like, come on. Um, but what it shows me is that they are developing situational awareness and they are thinking about just even basic things like if something's bad now, I, I, I've already, I already know where the exit is. I already know where the bathroom is. I already know, you know, hey, if I can't get to the, there's only one way in and out. Oh, you know, my, my 11 year old the other day said, uh, I, you know, th this is a solid wood tabletop. I just flip the table over and hide behind it, you know, underneath the booth seat. It was like damn okay that you know that's that's pretty solid okay i'll take that um so what you know other than you know what what i'm sure both of our advice is is you know this comes down to parents and it comes down to citizens being involved and you know at some point or another you you've got to get pissed off and decide enough is a frick enough and and just like you said um you know my kids go to a private catholic school and, you know, I've kind of quietly ever since the kids started in preschool, and like I said, my daughter's 11 now, you know, I've kind of teased the idea like, man, your security sucks. But, you know, nothing was really happening in those days. You know, I, I mean, it had happened. I should have pushed harder. But for the past few years, like, I, I am a royal pain in the ass with them. 
like every freaking time I see anybody picking up the kids, dropping off the kids at an event. So how's that security plan coming? When are you going to fortify that fence? How can we have five entrances and exits into the school grounds that are uncontrolled? How come I saw that door open? How come I saw this? How, hey, that camera's broken. Like just constant pain in the ass. Well, this year we started school and I'm impressed. Like it, it is a pain in the butt for parents now. And they're complaining because now there's just one entry, one exit. It's it's always staffed by two people. The gate shuts and locks 15 minutes after school starts. It doesn't open until like exactly when school's over. Like, you know, I mean, they're starting at least. At least it's progress. They're thinking about it. Um, so, but it was after yelling and screaming, and I'm sure other parents yelling and screaming and, you know, holding the fire to their toes. So I think other than that, you know, hopefully parents and citizens are saying, look, enough's enough. Like, we need to do something about this. We need to increase funding to our police departments for both staffing and training. These guys are important and they're standing in harm's way for us. And, you know, they're not getting the training. They don't have the numbers that they need to combat today's situations. But beyond that, you know, schools need additional money and resources focused specifically on security. So these are all things citizens should be yelling and screaming and writing letters and demanding. But until that happens, you know, do you have any any suggestions better than my own, you know, practices of what parents can do with their kids, whether their kid is five or their kids going to college and they're 20? You know, what? What advice would you give? I'm sure you're a far better parent than I am. Uh, no, I kind of, <laughs> I'm almost on the same, like what you were saying is pretty much uh, a lot of the things that I do. I, I do uh, commend you though for, you know, the whole squeaky wheel gets the grease and, you know, you didn't stop and, you know, you kept mentioning to your school, these are the things that I'm seeing. Um, you know, like we know from the Uvalde incident, he made entrance into the school from an unlocked door, you know, um, what if that door was locked, you know, what, what, what that would look like. So, um, I think too, I think you have to start by talking to your kids. Um, and like I said, without instilling fear in them, my kids are the same way. I have four, I have one that's graduated college, I have one that's in college, one in high school and one in middle school. So I'm spread out all the way through. Um, but I've, since they've been young, I've talked to them about things. Like I, I think I told you in the last episode we did, I'm not bringing it to my, even my like family, my in-laws. And, you know, we were in Hawaii waiting to go whale watching and there's 300 people standing on this dock area. And I just asked my father-in-law, I just said, Hey, what would you do if someone started shooting? We're in an open outside. What would you do? And he looked around. He's like, well, I'd get behind. He wasn't sure, but he's like, I'd get behind that, that pillar. I'm like that, that's a start. That's cover, you know, understanding as silly as it sounds, what's concealment, what's cover. Like, you know, my kids know cement is better than a wooden picnic table. You know what I mean? Those kinds of things. So I think it starts with just having the conversation. And what I'm seeing, though, is the kids nowadays, they take it more serious because the reality of it could happen or the potential that it could happen at their school or their location. Or you know, I don't know if you saw it, but there's just one this week in Bend, Oregon, inside of a grocery yeah. store, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's like these things can happen anywhere. And if it all goes back to the whole thing is you're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to, you're going to divert back to your training when it comes to these incidents. So, you know, if you're walking around and you're looking and I, I tell my kids, you know, Hey, look, if something happens and we're here, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I expect you guys to do. You know what I mean? And, um, 
like I said, my kid does, my son does theater. And so we go to these, like these big theaters, you know, which are very, very tactically a disadvantage, right. For, oh, yeah. for the people that are sitting there um, with the stadium seating and all that kind of stuff that's happening. But what can I do to survive it? And I'll ask him, Hey, if I asked you to leave right now, where would you go? Okay. What other place could you go? So I think having a genuine open conversation with them, it's not a bad parent. I think to me, honestly, that's yeah. being a, a good parent because you're teaching them. Or if I see something like we're out and I notice something like a guy fidgeting, or maybe I can tell like, you know, Hey, that dude might have a gun in his waistband or something to that extent. I tell the people I'm with, I'm like, Hey dude, just watch the, watch this person. I do a horrible job about sizing people up. Um, <laughs> I try to wear sunglasses as much as I can, but I am, I'm always looking about that because I tell yeah. my family, I don't, I don't want to be an easy victim. I don't want my family to be a victim. I don't want, you know, any of those type of things. I mean, it could happen. I mean, but at least if you had some sort of idea, so I would say don't stay away from it. Talk to them younger rather than they're, they get older, start when they're younger, because if you keep talking to them about it, it just becomes second nature for them to take a look at things and see things a different way. Like I said, I, I tell this in my presentation that I give to staff, like my wife, she lives in condition white and she believes everything in this world is good. And, <laughs> and, and when I'm with her, that's cool. Like stay, stay living in that condition. Cause I don't want her to be like I am, but when I'm not with her, I need her to step like, get to like yellow and white mix makes tan, like get to tan. Cause I just right. want you to be situationally aware. So, um, my, my suggestion to parents is talk to them about it To If you're seeing things at your school, don't be afraid to mention it. School schools are, and you know what, do it in an email because now you have it documented and you know, you said, Hey, I brought this to your guys' attention, you know, three months ago, have we had a chance to take a look at it? Um, so, be that squeaky wheel when it comes to what you want to see change in your schools. And some schools, they're very proactive about it. And I'll give you an easy example. I think I told you I was doing this training for my department. And one of the things, if you read the Uvalde report, somehow they waited inside this hallway for 40 minutes to get a master key, right? A key costs, I don't know, $10. These are like, you know, the priority keys. So they're a little bit special, whatever the cost is. So I have two superintendents that live in the community that I work in or not live, but that are the two super, we have two school districts in the community I work in. I hit up one of them. Um, I said, Hey, I need 40 keys, master keys. I said, I want to put them in every patrol car, every detective car, every administrator car. And we have community service officers and, and those cars too. So I need about 40. He said, okay, no problem. I asked the other superintendent. I had to talk to his secretary. I asked for the same thing. He delivered 10. He's like, we'll start by just putting them in the admin or the sergeant cars and the admin cars. And I thought to myself, I'm like, why? Like, why, why is that such a big deal? And why is this thing so protective? So I went to the chief and I said, Hey, look, I got 40 keys from one superintendent. The other one only gave me 10. Can you make a phone call? And he did. So now we have all 40 keys, but it's as simple as we have 17, 18 schools in our community. And to get into all the schools, it's four different keys. It's a, a key. It's a key ring with four keys on it. I just color coded them and that allows you into the schools. And now it's in every patrol car, every CSO car, every detective car. It now it allows for, you know, the Uvalde thing, the breach point was the big deal, right? Because of metal frame door with a metal door, not a lot of give. It's hard to breach a normal average or a patrol officer doesn't have a lot of training in breaching, right? That shouldn't be a delay. Now you don't have a delay because 
maybe you have a school that has card access, give us card access on the back of our ID cards, you know? So, um, those type of things, I know that kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent, no, but no, but you know, I, I mean, the, the biggest point to me is, you know, here, here you have a, a local police department actively involved and interested and willing and saying to the superintendent, I just need 40 keys. And he gives you 10, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't mean to call him out. I don't, I'm sure he's a fine guy or what gal or whatever, but like 10, 10 instead of 40. Yeah. I know? told him, and, I, I told and, him, I would and, and, and here's the reason for it. Like, you know, the reason, you know, why we're asking, like what that, if that cost is too great, then, then I shouldn't bring up the 80 other things that are infrastructure you know, fall shorts in, in your entire system that, that really you should be addressing. If you can't afford the extra 30 keys, yeah. like seriously, after everything that's happened, it's just one more thing that we don't have to worry about. It's one more thing we can check off the boxes. One of our, one of our schools has, um, gates that are powered with uh, garage door openers. So we spent as a department, I spent, I don't know, 150 bucks or maybe $200 on buying garage door openers for every patrol car. Now that now they have access to all the gates to get to the back road. So it's little things like that. If you can, it's all goes back to pre-event planning, what you're diagnosing as what needs to be handled. So you can effectively react to that event. I should not be delayed because I don't have access into the crisis site. I should not be delayed waiting on a key or waiting on this to make access to it. Like these are little things that we can get ahead of and you're being proactive rather than reactive. And so, yeah. and then you can say, you know, so that question down the road goes, well, you guys didn't have a key. How come? The Evolve report says you waited 40 minutes for a key. Why did you wait 40 minutes for that key? That's one more thing you could check off the boxes. I had access to it immediately. You know, um, if you have SROs on campus, those vehicles should have breaching tools, 40 millimeter shields stocked. And if you don't want to put your whole department with those things in a vehicle, have those SRO cars that are at the campus stop yeah, with already them. on site. Yeah. It's already there. So um, little things like that. And that, that goes back to that, those tabletop exercises, those decision-making exercises of getting not just law enforcement, but you get the school safety team, whoever that looks like, whatever that is all together in the same room. And you write down the vulnerabilities and you write down the things that are considered concerns, but then you come back a month later and say, okay, we address these 10 things as vulnerabilities. These are the 10, this is how we corrected it. Like you said, you went, Hey, why is this door open? Or why isn't that camera fixed? Those kind of things and come back with a checklist, you know, a month later, 30 days later, Hey, these things are all now fixed. Um, and and it, the other thing I've found too, is, you know, it, it, if, you know, the conversation usually comes back to money. Oh, we just don't have the money. You know what? There's so many state and federal grants out there. And even if there isn't, you know, there there's PTOs and there's individual fundraising like if if this matters to you, and I don't know how it cannot freaking matter to you. Like I, I, I again, I encourage everybody to go watch the video. Turn that sound up as loud as it'll freaking go, and close your eyes and imagine that's your kid's school, and then come back and tell me it doesn't matter. Like it, it's unbelievable to me that we're at this point where where you can shut down the whole conversation by just saying, oh yeah, we don't really have the budget for it. Well, then tell me exactly how much it's going to cost and and I'll figure out a way to fundraise. Like if yeah. I have to set up a freaking lemonade stand yeah. on my corner every freaking day for the next five years, I'll figure out a way to come up with the money 
but like these are my kids yeah and that's why we have to do more to law enforcement wise i think we really do and if you you know you understand that we're you know the it's it's a law enforcement when they deal with these they're they're they have constraints and restraints right they, what we do has to be legal legally within policy and morally correct the person doing this crime guess what he has no nothing no restraints and no constraints his behavior is unrestricted so we have to combat that, but we also have to think at the same time, if I have a clear identified end state when it comes to an active shooter event, and that clear identified end state is to stop the killing, stop the dying, then I have to act and I have to do what I can. And if that's to shoot 40 millimeters in the front window while the team makes entry from the back, well, guess that, that's what I'm gonna do. If I have to throw rounds up into the eaves to get things going, that's what I need to do. These are all the things that I have to think outside the box yeah. I don't know, you may have you may have a rescue an armored vehicle that you run through the front part of the entry just to create that OODA loop and get into that person's brain. But you're stopping the you're doing things to stop it. So we have to we have to do more like I, I don't know. Like I can go on for days about you know what the training should look like and, and those kinds of things. We gotta talk about, you know, everything from why do we always enter the crisis site through the primary breach point? It's, right. it's a silly thing to talk about, but if you don't talk about it. Law enforcement wise, why do we always go through the same door that they go into, right? Borderline. What was that? That was an ambush, you know, the heat yeah, ambush, you, you those cops coming in through the front. Yeah, but you know what, Mitch, like, uh, you know, I, I you know, I, there, there's, you know, I, I don't think there's many people that are a bigger supporter of, of law enforcement than I am. And, you know, I, I empathize with, with the situation that you all are in today, right? The job has never been tougher um, than it is today. And, and, you know, you have fewer resources to combat that current problem that you're facing every single day today. You know, and I'm not just talking about active shooter situations, like the full breadth of your job is tougher and more complicated than it's ever been. And it's only compounded by the fact that, you know, on one hand, you have people yelling and screaming at you about using too much force, not de-escalating, not being, you know, passive community servants, that every cop is bad, everything else, but then in the exact same breath, criticizing, you know, that you didn't go in and impulse kill, you know, somebody that had walked into a classroom with a firearm, right? And and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have, you know, that, that not you, but, you know, that the Ovaldi situation shouldn't have been um, brought to a conclusion in, in a more expeditious manner than it was. Um, but, but for every person that yells at a cop saying, you know, oh, there, you know, there you are beating up on a minority again, you know, when that minority was armed, was a felon, was wanted, wasn't complying, and geez, you were so rough with him, like, can't you, you know, now let's file a civil suit, let's have the ACLU involved, let's do all these different things. It causes you to hesitate. It causes you to second guess your instinct. It causes all these things because there's so many ramifications that fall off on departments now for, for you guys, you know, largely just doing your job in, in most cases, you know, I'm not saying that there hasn't been a few egregious things, but by far and large, every single day, every one of you get it 99% right. And you're just trying to do, you know, the best that you can. So, so again, I think it comes back to the community and individuals being clear about what our need is for policing and that it is you guys standing in between us and all this escalation of bad guys. And, you know, whether it's a school shooting or it's just a strong arm robbery or it's a carjacking or whatever it happens to be, you know, it, 
you know, bad guys are bad guys. Right. We talked about it in the first episode where, you know, you talk brought up gun laws and the people that are committing these crimes, they're not going to follow. They're not following the laws. They're not following the sign. They're not following any of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, it has been. And we have to evolve. You know, we have to do things in law enforcement. It's never, if it's an ever changing, you know, career and we have to culturally, there's some things that we have to change, you know, for all, all the way around. Like you said earlier, like the, you know, the brand new, the brand new officer that's on the street, like he's going to have ideas and in the past. Guess what? Wait your turn, rookie. You'll be able to talk at some point. But now, but now we have we have to change culturally that we have to do that kind of stuff. And every member of your department it has some sort of value to it. Um, like I said, this whole thing to me is, is is we have to do better from a law enforcement standpoint. We have to do better for our community. Um, when it comes to the school stuff, the administrators and the people that are involved on the school safety need to do a better job. And at some point, I think federally we need to do a better job in this community and make it more of a priority. What happens is it seems like it happens, then we move on and we wait for the next one to happen. And then we address that and some of the things that come out from it. So Uvalde is going to be ever changed. You know, Littleton, Colorado is going to be forever changed. Yeah. Parkland, Florida is going to be forever changed. All those places are going to be forever changed. Um, and we need to, we but, owe but it to the, our But the one thing that we, well, I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, you, I, I think you take too much burden on yourself because I'll say the one thing that everybody is, no matter what their role is, is you're a citizen of this country and you should demand better. And, you know, at the end of the day, these people are, are people that we elected into office to act in our best interest. And, you know, if, if you do not see the change that, that you deem suitable, you know, to, to provide the safety and security and freedom um, you know, that we're, that we're all here for, um, then you should demand better, um, you know, because, you, you know, you guys shouldn't be fighting this alone. You know, we, we should be the full force multiplier that, um, you know, we all used to be and should be every single day to have your backs. Uh, I appreciate that, Patrick. Thank you. All right, buddy. Well, listen, again, um, a ton of wisdom and experience in this. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing all this with us. You know, please, uh, please, you know, on behalf of ATF Magazine and, you know, our millions of readers and everybody else that, you know, watches this, you know, please know that we are uh, eternally grateful for everything you and your brothers and sisters do out there, um, you know, keeping us safe and uh, standing in the way of, you know, between us and the bad guys. So uh, keep up the good work. And uh, as always, let us know how we can help uh, watch you back. All right, Patrick, thanks so much for having me, man. It's uh, I love I love what you're doing with this platform. So anytime I could be part of it, just just give me a ring. I'm, I'd love to be down. So I appreciate that. Right. Take care and stay thanks. safe. All right. Thank you.